So this episode, um, I'm not sure of the name yet, whether I should name it Chess Match or Return of the Old Gods, but um, I just wanted to kind of talk about something in that vein and the Return of the Old Gods, you know, Little G, and the Chess Match. There's a chess match that's going on. So I think I'm going to start like this. I was watching a movie. Uh, called Glass by uh, in M. Night Shyamalan. I hope I'm saying that right. Probably getting it wrong. But um, it's, this is a little spoiler alert. So if you haven't seen that movie, um, go ahead and back out now. But So I was watching this movie. This movie is um, a trilogy, a three-part movie. And it started with the movie Unbreakable second movie was Split, and then uh, the culmination of all three of these movies was called Glass. And in this movie, um, it's a movie about these three extra humans, or superhumans, like, as we like to say, superheroes, supervillains, you know, whatever you want to call them. But um, it was about these superhumans, or these extra humans, and the goal was to well, the, the protagonist or the antagonist. The antagonist, his goal was to make their presence known. Not only make their presence known, but to activate all the other superhumans that are around or even create more super or extra humans. So, you know, this is his whole entire goal of the movie. And these three main characters, these three superhumans are, um, you know, warring against each other. So you have the superhero in Unbreakable. Then you have the supervillain in Split. And then you have the, the, you know, the mastermind behind this all in Glass, Mr. Glass. And, and their whole goal, like I said before, or the whole goal of it was to make their presence known, to allow the regular humans to know that we exist, we are among you, but not only that, there's more of us. So in the movie, there's this group of uh, people whose whole goal is to prevent that. You know, it's an ancient order. You know, like like you always see in these movies, this ancient order that goes back all the way to ancient times that are charged with um, the prevention of this very goal. And of course, they are revealed to be the real villains of the movie. And their whole goal is to stop people from knowing that these extra humans, these superhumans exist and that um, to exterminate them. Every last single one of them needs to be exterminated. That's their goal. That is the, uh, you know, the secret reveal of the evil villain. And they come in the guise of, you know, a psychiatric doctor and, you know, things of that nature. And uh, what happens is in the movie, they they capture all three of them, of course, and... um, And they try to convince them that they're just like everyone else, that they're regular humans and there's nothing extraordinary about them. There's nothing superhuman about them. And that's that. 
Of course, they failed to do so, and they break out of this hospital because they were captured and put into a mental hospital. They all three break out of this hospital hospital, and begin to battle. And unbeknownst to the group, this battle is being recorded. And, you know, they end up all three dying. They all three are dying, dead because the group exterminates them. It kills all three of them and exterminates them. And then um, they feel like it's over. We've won didn't get out, but each one of the three protagonists had a supporting character like a, um, what's it called? What is Batman? To, I mean, Robin to Batman, a sidekick. There it is. They had a sidekick. So, and each one of the sidekicks, um, they would, they met and they got an email and they got a message, um, with the video saying, you know, spread the message, send this to the world. And at the end of the movie, they do just that. And then they sit back at this train station and wait. And everybody's phone starts to ding and go off. And the world is notified. These extra humans exist. Not only that, any extra humans that would see this would be activated. And, um, you know, continue the charge to activate, make your presence known, and create more. And, you know, credits roll into the movie, but I started thinking about this. And of course, you know, I always got to bring things back into biblical sense or biblical terms and um, and spiritual terms and uh, back to Yah and look at Yah's view of this. Because when we look at Hollywood, when we look at history, when we look at mythology, when we even look at comic books, because the whole whole movie was centered around comic book. It was a comic book theme, which I love. I love comic books. I love history. I love mythology. But when we look at this thing, we are looking at these stories. And to us, you know, what we've been trained to think is that these are just stories. Even the Bible, you know, it's just a story. What's made up. And somebody with a very creative imagination made these stories. And what we always fail to realize is that these things, and even the movie, the movie says it, that they're based off of, you know, it's based off of um, a true event, something that actually happened in the far past and um, that was told and traveled down the lines from generation to generation. The story was told and to, got to the point where now it's just a story and it's no longer an historical fact and things get distorted. So when we're looking at this movie through the eyes of Yah, you know, or Yahweh, I say Yahweh, Yah, uh, referring to God, the, the Most High God, the one true God. When we're looking at the story in his eyes, we we see the similarities to um, the story or the the history of the Bible. And and like I said, but we see this story from the other side. We see the story from the the people who were essentially the bad guys telling their side of the story and you know trying to make themselves look like the good guys. So I'm going to uh, talk about a few scriptures. I'm going to try to keep it brief. This is a podcast. I don't want it to be too long, but I want to, you know, try to get a little deep into this thing at the same time. So 
Let's look at a, a few scriptures. So if we were to go to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verses 14 and 15, we will see uh, three people in the Garden of Eden plus God. So you have Adam in the Garden of Eden, you have Eve in the Garden of Eden, and you have the serpent. Now, the whole context of this scripture here, or what happened before this, was that God put um, Adam in the garden. He created Eve from Adam, and he charged them with um, having to take care of this garden and having dominance over the whole world and take care of everything. You're the caretakers now. And he said, but um, there's this tree here in the garden that um, you can't touch. Don't eat. If you look at it, you touch it, you die. Everything else, you're good to go. But this one, you touch this one, you look at it, you die. Serpent comes in and he says, well, he looks at Eve and says, you know, is that really true? Eve is like, oh, you know, that's what he said. And, and the serpent's like, well, yeah, I don't think that's what he meant. He probably meant it like this. So Eve falls for that and she eats and then gives some to Adam and he eats it too. And what happens? They start to die. Right. And God comes down and now God, um, all knowing now, yeah, all knowing he he comes down and, and he asks, OK, so what's what's going on here? What happened? Why? Why, why is all this that's happening here? Like he didn't know. Of course, he knows. But, you know, he asks anyway and they proceed to shift the blame. Everyone blames. Well, uh, you know, Adam's like, well, Eve, you know, this lady you made for me, she she did it. She uh, she made, made me mess up. And then he was like, well, she, the, the serpent told me to do it, and he made me mess up, you know. So God proceeds to judge all three of them. But the judgment that he puts on the serpent is interesting. And what he says to the serpent is that I am going to put enmity between you and this woman. What does enmity mean? Enmity is uh, a word that means, you know, there's going to be a, a war or I'm going to make you enemies. Enmity and enemy are very similar words. So, you know, I'm going to make you enemies of each other. You guys will be enemies. You guys will war with each other. But not only will you and the woman have enmity, but your seed, referring to the serpent, and the woman's seed is going to have enmity. And the woman's seed is going to crush your head. And the serpent's seed is going to crush his heel. This was the judgment that he put on the serpent. And then he said some other things as to the fact that now you're going to have to crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Judgment. So we, we see this here, and um, a lot of times we gloss over this. But um, this, this few verses here and this judgment and this curse that was put upon them was important because it said a lot of things with not many words, and it's so easy to gloss over, like I said. So the first thing that you realize is that the serpent, who was Satan, has a seed. He's going to have seed. A seed in, in this case, and if you look at the Hebrew, refers to offspring. 
So the serpent will have offspring and the women, the woman will have offspring, the woman who was Eve. And these two offsprings are going to war against each other. They will always be enemies with each other. But the offspring of the woman is going to be the one to crush the head of the serpent's offspring. And when you look at the word head, you know, that refers to the leadership or the um, the, the thing that keeps the whole organizi- organization together. And it said that the serpent's offspring would crush the heel of the woman's seed. And that the heel usually it refers to um, the, the hind parts or the back or the rear, the bottom, you know, um, in that sense. So that, that whole thing was going on there. So there was a curse, but at the same time, there was a promise of uh, redemption that, you know, we can look deeper into, maybe into another episode, but there was that going on. So as we start to uh, go through these chapters and these books in the Bible and look at the history, we start to see from that, that point on how the war is starting to be played out in this little chess match. You know, I heard people refer to it as like a cosmic chess match that um, Yah and uh, the adversary Satan seems to be playing and, um, you know, the humans, us, we're kind of caught in the middle of it. So we, you know, we go on to chapter four of Genesis, right? And immediately after that, everybody gets their curse, their judgment, and um, told what has to happen. Chapter four starts with Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel were um, the children of Adam and Eve, the children that they had. And it was noted about Cain and Abel, but both Cain and Abel got canceled. So we see right there in chapter four that, you know, the the adversary is already making his first move. Okay, this woman's going to have a seed and it's going to be the enemy to my seed and they're going to crush our head. We about to take him out right off the bat. I'm going to get Cain to kill Abel and then I'm going to cancel Cain because now Cain is going to be violated and he won't be able to have a seed that is viable to crush the head of my offspring. So this happens. And, you know, Father Yah, Abba Yah, he, um, in his grace and in his wisdom, he makes his move. So he says, okay, well, Chapter five is Seth. So he makes a move and Seth comes along and Seth and his line. And, you know, I always we always like to uh, think that Cain, Abel and Seth were the only children that Adam had. But if you put things into context, Adam lived for about nine hundred and thirty years. It says nine hundred and thirty years he lived. And I think he was about. I'm probably going to get this wrong. I know I've wrote it, written it down, but he was about 130 when he had Seth. So before that, he had Cain and Abel. I'm not, it doesn't tell his age of when he had Cain and Abel, but with Seth, he was around 130 years and he had Seth. But after he had Seth, it always, you know, if you look at the genealogy, it always says that he had sons and daughters after that, and he lived about 930 years. That's a lot of sons and daughters. They um, sitting there popping babies out like Tic Tacs, you know? <laughs> right, but it always notes the line of Seth because that was the important line. That was going to be the line that was the seed of the woman. 
So, you know, now Abiyah has made his move. And we go over to Genesis chapter 6 now. So now we're going to see the adversary try and make his move. So he said, okay. I took Cain and Abel out. You brought Seth along. And you got Adam having all these babies, multiplying the earth, filling this whole earth up. This is what I'm going to do. So chapter 6, the adversary gets the sons of God. Now, when you see the term, the sons of God, it's uh, in Hebrew, it's, I think, B'nai. Elohim is the term for that, B'nai. B'nai uh, meaning the sons. And Elohim is God, so sons of God. And when you see that term, it always refers to angels. Angels is a Greek term for messenger, the messengers of God, the, the ones that came before all of this, the ones that the adversary is. He was an angel as well. But um, these particular sons of God looked at the daughters of man. Man is Adam. Adam is actually means man or mankind. So the sons of God, the angels, looked at the daughters of Adam and they saw that they were fair, they were good. And they took wives of them. It says wives. And in the Hebrew, the, the term for that is uh, Isa. I'm probably saying it wrong, but I-S-S-A. And that means woman or wife or, you know, something of that nature, woman, wife, all that, that those type of terms. Um, they took the sons of God, the angels, took the daughters of Adam and made them wives. And they had children with them. They had offspring. So now the, you see here that in this chess match that the adversary in chapter six, the Satan is, is making his move now. He said, all right, you know what? Okay, you made your line. Now I got to make my line, my offspring to combat your offspring. I tried to take it out at first, but that's not working. We'll, we'll come back to that. But I need to get my offspring going. So now the, the sons of God are having children with the daughters of Adam. And these children became the, the men of old, the men of renown. You know, and they were there during the flood and also after that. I mean, before the flood, but also after that, they were there. And a lot of people take that to mean after the flood, these this offspring continued on. And I, I kind of believe that, too. But this is chapter six. And this is, uh, like I said, the adversary making his move, creating his offspring. now. So now... And between these these chapters here, you, you have a lot of people being made. You have a lot of children being born and the children are having children and their children's children are having children. And this earth is filling up. So by the end of chapter six, Father Yah, Abba Yah, he, he's saying that, you know, I'm looking at this world. I'm looking at mankind, Adam's kind and all the thoughts of their mind and heart and their imaginations are continually evil and wicked mean. Everything that they did, everything that they thought, every move that they made, no matter what it was, was evil or wicked. And 
you see this as another uh, move that the adversary makes. So he said, okay, I can't take out the lion. And I see that this offspring of the woman is being made. So what I'm going to do is corrupt the entire earth. So that way nobody could be saved. There's no offspring. And I'll take this thing out right off the bat. We're going to nip this in the bud. Move made, right? But Abba, Father Yah, right, in his wisdom, he's had this line of Seth. And Seth, you know, has his son. And I can't, I can't remember all the names. I did write it down. And I made an actual whole timeline. So... From Seth and Adam came Noah. And this whole line was noted in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 7 talks about Noah and God telling Noah that there's going to be a flood. I need you to make a boat. I need you to do all these things, get these animals. You, your sons and their wives and your wife are going to be the only people on the boat. And I'm taking everybody and everything else out. That's it. They're gone. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of them. These people are bad, retarded, whatever you want to call them. Riri, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that. That's probably an offensive term, so I apologize for that. But, you know, these people are just wicked, you know, so I'm taking them out. So that's chapter 7. But in chapter 10, it, Abba, Yah, through Moses, he, he has a seed that the line of Seth and the progression of it and the pure line because it said that there was none that was found pure and when it when it's talking about pure or righteous it's talking about as far as their bloodline and in their generation except for Noah so these were the only people that could be saved it was Noah and his three sons and their wives and his wife were allowed to be saved but through Noah and his three sons, the generation was pure. So this is God making his move now. He said there's going to be a reset. So he does this reset, right? And, <laughs> you know, he makes his move. So you, you see this chess match happening every time. So, you know, God sets up the board in the beginning, right? creates the heaven and the earth and then you have this adversary that is jealous and wants to be like God and decides to rebel and thinks that he can be the enemy of God and win make his move and it's just move after move move counter move move counter move move counter move as you go through the chapters and then we come to this seventh chapter and the eighth chapter and the ninth chapter and this talks about this flood that exterminates everything and everybody in it because now we know that the adversary in chapter 6 has made his move and create, started to create his offspring to corrupt and corrupt mankind, Adam's kind and take over the entire world and corrupt everything so everything needs to be destroyed so this curse that was placed upon him cannot fulfill itself but we know Yah, the Almighty Abba Yah, Father Yah, is um, almighty for a reason. And and it doesn't matter what you try to do. There's always a counter move that you cannot see, predict, or even can't even comprehend. That is just always going to blow your mind. So we see this thing happening. And um, as I was watching this movie, that 
brought all these things to mind, you know, and it does go deeper than that. And, you know, I entitled this this um, episode, The Return of the Nephilim. No, I'm sorry. I, re- I entitled it Return of the Gods. I just used a term called Nephilim. Um, when you look at chapter six in Genesis and it refers to the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of Adam, it calls that offspring Nephilim. And it comes from a word uh, nephal in Hebrew, which means fallen or to fall. So they were the fallen ones, you know, the ones that were fallen. Um, but, you know, in that chapter, it says that these were the men of old and the men of renown. So these were the men where the mythologies come from, where the comic book characters come from, um, where all of these different histories and um, histories of gods and demigods and with little g's um, come from. These come from these actual events and they were exterminated. But it also says in there that um, they would be here after the flood too. So there was a return. So we look at that and um, we get to Genesis chapter 10 and it does the genealogy from Adam all the way down to Noah. And we see the reset with Noah. It brings us back to zero. And we have to start over. Noah gets off the boat in chapter 11. And there's that reset again. And they are charged with populating the earth. Fill the earth again. Let the animals go free. Fill the earth. That's their charge. The humans spread out on the earth and fill it. That was a charge from the beginning. This is a charge now. Be fruitful and multiply. That was uh, the first blessing that was was ever given. Be fruitful and multiply. So this is what their charge is. And then you start to see after God has made his move, after Abba Yah has made his move, now the adversary comes back again and tries to make his move again and bring back his line, his offspring. So you start to see this resurgence of these giants, these Nephilim, these fallen ones come back again. And you have this, um, these, these lines coming from, from Noah and the wives of his son, you know, and you see these giants come through and you see these, these different things happening. And, you know, God was, their charge to them was spread out through the earth, be fruitful and multiply. But you see um, in chapter 11, there's this particular son of Ham, or a great-grandson of Ham. Ham is one of Noah's three children. So Noah's three children were Japheth, Shem, and Ham. And Ham had a son named Canaan, and through Canaan came Cush, and through Cush came Nimrod. And Nimrod decides he's going to get all these people together because that same old rebellion that the uh, adversary had, he he put into Nimrod as well. So Nimrod thinks that he can um, be an adversary of Abayah himself, and he decides to create a tower and gather all these people together because they all spoke the same language. What Abayah um, says is that, you know, Whatever that they have imagined to do would not be held back from them. Now, of course, they can't beat Abba. They can't beat Yah, Yahweh, Jehovah, you know, but the things that they're imagining to do, they will be able to do because they're one and they speak one language. They are on one accord, 
You know, it says that throughout the Bible where two or three are gathered, you know, these things, um, there's a principle behind that. So he comes down and he confuses this language. And as he confuses the language, the people start to group together in their languages and spread out over the earth like he told them to do in the first place. So you see the, the move and then the counter move again. But I brought up all that to say is that this from these these events that happen, this is where we get our histories and our mythologies from, from these different cultures and we get these these different comic book characters and we feel like, oh, this is something new that we're creating. But we always know that there's there's nothing new under the sun, right? Nothing new under the sun. So it's just a rehash of something that's already happened before. And the same thing goes with with these these mythologies and these histories and these movies that we watch, these comic book movies that we love. I love them, too. Right. And, you know, that's that's my thing. I love that stuff. Right. Um, not more than y'all, but I love it. And um, we see how these things have come to be. And we can look at these things and see the truth of it, that, you know, all this stuff came from real events. But, you know, we're, we're always taught to think of things and, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a story. It's just made up. It's not real. There's no real supernatural. There's no um, extraordinary. It's just science and, and mental. You know, that's it. That's, there's, there's nothing besides that. Yeah, guys, God, Abba, yeah, you know, he's just a fairy tale like all the other gods, you know. I'm here to tell you that's not true. So, thanks for listening to me, sitting with me. Hopefully you didn't get offended by some of the stuff I'm saying. If you did, I truly apologize. You know, I'm not even going to go back and correct some of the things I'm saying, but I will give an apology to say, you know, I apologize. I don't mean things in a mean way or to say them in an offensive way, but, you know, I'm just trying to illustrate a point here.